0: welcome to the field goals podcast i'm brandon schultz we are in the week the game the first game week of the nfl season i can barely talk i'm so excited about it uh where the seahawks are playing the indianapolis colts coming up this sunday we get football on thursday night and this is our first game preview of the 2021 nfl season as we get into the regular season here And joining me to preview this game against the Indianapolis Colts is Stephen Reed of Stampede Blue, the Colts community on SB Nation. Stephen is the host of a very stable podcast that is part of the Stampede Blue community there at SB Nation. Stephen, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Brandon, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here and to finally talk about regular season football. I have heard that
0: maybe Colts fans are excited to get to the regular season after kind of some of the offseason and preseason talk. Uh what what's going on there? That's a great question.
1: <laughs> um we, I feel like it's overly I, I broad, but like,
0: you know, I, I wanna I wanna know where your mind goes first when I ask
1: you that. High level, and then we'll just work <laughs> our way down from there. Yeah, we're you know, we're excited. You know, we've we've got obviously the the questions at the quarterback position with Carson Wentz. Um I think it's something that we'll probably end up talking about later in the podcast, but the vaccination status of a lot of players is, is on people's minds. Uh, but ultimately the cold season is pretty much going to be made or broken on Carson Wentz's shoulders this year. So we're excited to see what he brings. Uh, it seems so far that they're really high on him, uh, at least inside the building, which obviously they, they should be because they've traded with the third and, and potentially a first round pick for him. But from everything that we've seen, everything that we've heard, all the the info that we're getting from the beat writers there on the ground on at the Colts facility, seems like he's played really well so far. So it's we're really hopeful that reconnecting with Frank Reich is going to rekindle his career. Um, and so that's that's kind of where we're at. That's that's the biggest probably high level thing for the Colts right now is figuring out what's going on with Carson Wentz, and then also. You know, left tackle position is is something that they've finally kind of addressed, but we'll we'll see how it goes and see what Eric Fisher does.
0: I feel like as a Seahawks fan, we've gone through a roller coaster of this week one matchup because just a few weeks ago it seemed like, oh, Quentin Nelson's gonna be out, Carson Wentz is gonna be out, they're they're having these foot issues and it's gonna knock them out at least through the first couple weeks of the season. And as Seahawks fans, we, we look at that and we go, oh, man, well, Carson Wentz, we're the, he hasn't beaten the Seahawks yet uh, in his entire NFL career. So uh, that's kind of a bummer that he won't be playing. And also, you know, you want the guys to be healthy, too. But now it sounds like Wentz is going to be healthy. And I think maybe even part of it, too, was because of uh, Jacob Eason having played for the Huskies. Uh, Seahawks fans or, you know, some of those crossover fans of Seahawks and Husky fans. They wanted to see the former UW quarterback out there, too. But it was it surprising at all to see the recovery from these foot issues, considering what we were hearing just a few weeks ago.
1: I can understand as a Seahawks fan, like it'd be a whirlwind of emotions over there because you think you're going to get like, first off a game without Quentin Nelson. It makes this a lot easier for the defense. Um, it sounds like he's going to be back. But as a Colts fan, we were just so up and down on what was going to happen and we're really hesitant nowadays when the team starts to say hey the quarterback has an undisclosed injury they're going to be out anywhere between five and 12 weeks and we're like wow guys maybe you could have given us a little bit narrower of a window to hit right um so you basically tell us you don't know what's going on see we, we're having a little PTSD here because the last time you guys did that, Andrew Luck retired. Ooh. So this is one of those situations where we're like, all right, no, but seriously, what's going on here? We are really excited, though, like to that. The surgery went well. And then you started seeing Carson Wentz on the sidelines without a boot and without a brace on that foot um, with no limp. And you started seeing these reports uh, after two weeks um, really, actually, I think it was within a week from post-surgery that you started seeing pictures of him out on the training field with just no limp, no boot, uh, nothing, no wrap, no tape, anything like that on the mm-hmm. foot. So that was a positive sign going forward. I, I actually was unaware that he's never beaten the Seahawks. So that's news to me. It's, I'm it's hopeful that, that changes. Yeah, 4 But, <laughs>
0: and, but they, um, you know,
1: that was with the Eagles. New team now, so... Ugh. Yeah, the Eagles are boy, Howie Roseman's done something over there. Um, but yeah, I, I for us it's been a whirlwind. And then we like we got kind of used to Jacob Eason. And once you like you're like, all right, he's gonna be our starter, we're gonna get behind him, we're gonna root for him. Yeah, it's gonna be great. But then Carson Wentz sounds like he's gonna come back. We're like, you know, Carson Wentz really does kind of give us a better opportunity to win here. So we're we think that you know, we're, we're really happy that Carson Wentz is going to be in and, and be that starting quarterback. Sounds like week one. Uh, Frank Reich said that on Wednesday is going to be the real telltale sign. If there's no setbacks and you see Carson Wentz taking the majority of the, those first team snaps there on Wednesday, then you can pretty much assume that he's going to be the starter. So we'll know or besides like some kind of random setback. That whether Carson's going to be the starter. I expect him to start
0: week one against, against Seattle. Well, you even left out one of the names of the guys in the roller coaster because I felt like Sam Ellinger was getting some play there as, oh, maybe he could be the guy over Eason. And then he ends up on IR. And how how long is he going to be out for?
1: Uh, he's going to be out for a while. I, I think he's going to be out at least six weeks um, is, is what they were saying. And I honestly didn't think Sam Ellinger I wasn't a huge Sam Ellinger fan just because the throws, the interceptions that he made um were ones where, you know, you compare it to Jacob Eason, but most of them were the outside the numbers throws, which are some of the hardest throws for a quarterback to make, uh, to get any kind of zip on the ball and and get that get the ball there before the cornerback can get there. And Sam Ellinger just didn't have the arm strength to get there, um, to get the ball there consistently. And then he was making just kind of poor decisions. And unfortunately Sam Ellinger, that was his big, big thing is he's a smart guy. He's a winner. He's got grit and all those other things that you describe guys that are smaller and somehow find a way to win. And he was kind of that guy, Jacob Eason, I thought was a better quarterback in totality through the preseason, even though he only threw rockets, (laughs) Um Sam Ellinger threw for three interceptions in the preseason. Jacob Eason threw for zero because literally nobody could catch the ball <laughs> for for the ones that would, the receiver would miss. It would just be so hard, so fast. That the defender wouldn't be able to make a play on it either. So that Sam Ellinger, he, he had a pretty significant uh, ACL injury. It wasn't a tear though. Okay. So I think that he is going to be out for, I think it was like something like six to 10 weeks, something like that.
0: How did Frank Reich approach the preseason with your team? Because one of the things we saw new for the Seahawks, and I don't know if this was because Pete, historically, Pete Carroll has always played starters in the preseason. And I don't know if it was because of having COVID with the last year, not having preseason, that they just decided that starters could skip the preseason again this year. And with having a new offensive coordinator, it seemed even, even more strange, but... Uh, that's what we got. We got a lot of backups in the preseason. How was it with the Colts?
1: So the Colts, they played their starters, but really sparingly, that was basically only a series or two. And there are some starters that didn't play at all. Like, I don't think Darius Leonard played at all. Um, there were some like Jonathan Taylor didn't play at all in the preseason. T.Y. Hilton didn't prior to his injury. Then um, he had the injury that is going to sideline him until like October, I believe. But yeah, Frank Reich was able to play the starters, but it was sparingly. I think the the guys that we were really wanting to get some action was like Quiddy Pay, the defensive end from Michigan. Um, that's a guy that we wanted to see get some snaps in. We wanted to see just a, a couple of the wide receivers get some snaps. But outside of that, the starters played pretty sparingly. And I think that that's probably going to be something that goes on throughout the, the future of the NFL. I don't think that that's a just a COVID one-off situation. I think that they're going to start just reducing the time that they have in the preseason for those starters. Well, you brought up one of the
0: names that I think is the most scary name when it comes to the offense. I think, I think Quentin Nelson's the best player I think of when I think of the Colts offense, Carson Wentz, I think is the most intriguing going into the season. And then I think the scariest player to me is Jonathan Taylor.
1: Yeah. If I were Seattle, that's the guy I would key on um, at this point, because Jonathan Taylor. If you look at him at the end of the season, he was averaging over 100 yards. It was something like a touchdown and a half a game, something like that. It was it was just mind blowing the numbers that he was he was putting up. And he said at the end of the season that was when there was a certain game in there, and you saw it in terms of his productivity that it just clicked for him, and everything slowed down. And once that happened, you just saw him explode. And if you look at his measurables coming out of the draft, his measurables in terms of high weight speed are almost identical to Saquon Barkley, except Jonathan Taylor is like 15, 20 pounds heavier. Yeah. And so the guy is just an absolute athletic freak. He gets discredited because at Wisconsin, they didn't throw the ball to him, but I think he had something like a 95% catch rate last year. They threw the ball to him when, when they did throw the ball to him, he was able to make the catch. He was able to make a play. So he's dangerous and all, all, I mean, he could be a three down back there for the Colts. And if he gets a hole, he's gone. Like, you're not like, I don't know if Seattle has like just a dead on track sprinter on their roster or, or on their, their defense specifically in the secondary. Yeah, if we, we do have
0: a dead on track sprinter on our team. He plays wide receiver, but,
1: uh, no. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it was, it's, that's the, that's the trouble is like, if Jonathan Taylor gets a crease and he's shifty now in the hole, once everything slowed down for him, like, I want to say it was the Jacksonville game, which I know the talent level of the Jacksonville's defense versus Seattle's defense is about as large of a gap as there can be. But if Jonathan Taylor's able to find a seam, find a little crease, he's, he has, he's liable to break it and nobody's going to catch him.
0: Well, the big concern I think for Seahawks fans from what we saw from the defense in the preseason was kind of the interior of the defensive line, and they they had they really struggled, especially through those first two games. They seemed to clean it up against the Chargers in that third game of the preseason. Again, it wasn't the starting guys out there. I, I am a little bit concerned about the middle of the defense. But is Taylor a type of guy? Is he a more of an outside type guy, or is he a guy who will bust it up the middle?
1: he can do it all honestly like he probably is at his best between the tackles um but he's got the speed to get outside and take the corner um a lot of his big plays last year though uh, you know the like 60 yard run against the raiders like 50 60 yard run against the jaguars those were all between the tackles and I think the success rate of the Colts running game is was something along between 5 and 6 yards per carry when they ran between Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly. They're just on the left side. That will probably be the bread and butter for the Colts all game is to run inside with Jonathan Taylor because they've got such a such a talent to do well right there. And Ryan Kelly is expected to to play to start. Quentin Nelson is expected to be back. And so If that's the game plan, I I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. I could see the Colts just kind of hammering that home.
0: Well, I want to hit on the wide receivers. I want to hop on over to the defense, and we're going to do that coming up next after the break. (music) Talking to Stephen Reed of Stampede Blue. He is the host of a very stable podcast there on the SB Nation Network. And we're talking about this upcoming game between the Colts and Seahawks kicking off week one of the 2021 NFL season. And we've touched on a lot of parts of the offense, the run game, uh, Carson Wentz. One of the things I, you mentioned how you wanted to see the receivers in the preseason. Now, T.Y. Hilton goes down to injury. How concerned are Colts fans about the depth of this wide receiver group?
1: I think it's a concern, especially with both T.Y. Hilton and Desmond Patman. He's a lesser-known guy in the, around the NFL. You guys might know him because he played at Washington State, um, but he, he's more of a lesser-known receiver, but they were expecting some big things out of him, and he played really well in the preseason. Uh, I think Michael Pittman Jr. was going to step into that wide receiver one role for the Colts regardless of T.Y. Hilton's situation, and I'm not sure that the Colts necessarily – Wanted, like I don't, I'm not sure. Chris Ballard was like super keen on bringing Ty home, which was the big hashtag here in Indianapolis. Was bring Ty home, and that's was one of the reasons they pulled on the heartstrings to get Ty back. Um, which is kind of wild to me, but the, I, I'm not sure that Ty was going to make a huge difference anyway because the Colts were kind of looking to to move on um, from him. And I, I think this will probably be his last year. Now, the bigger question for me in terms of the wide receivers is what they do with Paris Campbell, because Paris Campbell is, uh, he's a, more of a slot guy. And if you get the ball to him in space, he could break it. Uh, kind of like what we were talking about with Jonathan Taylor is that if he gets a crease, he gets a little bit of open space. He can take it to the house. That's the exact same thing with Paris Campbell. And you saw that prior to his injuries last year is he was quickly. Racking up 15, 20, 30 yard run or 30 yard receptions, just little over the middle, little short stuff, and then got a little bit of open space and was able to make a big play out of it. The other guys that I'm really excited about, and I, this is kind of a sleeper guy. Like, I I really personally love Zach Pascal, but I think Michael Strawn, the seventh round pick out of college, uh, Charleston in West Virginia, is a guy that really could surprise some people. He played really well in the preseason, but again, It's preseason. You're going up against second, third string guys, but Michael Strawn was able to put up a lot of really good plays and he was uh, going to be a Olympic track runner for the Bahamas in the 400 prior to COVID. But when COVID shut everything down, he decided to go ahead and and prep for the NFL rather than try to continue to run for the Olympics. And so he's got legitimate speed there and he's big. He's something like six, five, six, six, goes up makes great contested catches. And so he's a guy that I think could be a sneaky guy that might get some playing time. But the Colts top three wide receivers right now are, are Michael Pittman Jr., Paris Campbell, and Zach Pascal. And then I could see Mike Strong really kind of sneaking in and getting some good looks, especially if he's gonna get like the third third corner for Seattle and he's gonna get some opportunities, which I think the Colts will focus on because he's a big guy. He's a red zone threat too.
0: You bring up Paris Campbell's speed, and that's one thing that I'm going to kind of be keyed in on this game especially is because it was early on in the season, there's not a lot of tackling, especially when it comes to the starters. A lot of the starters didn't even play in the preseason, and so this really is going to be their first opportunity for full-speed live tackling. And when you talk about these guys that are really quick, like Paris Campbell, and the way that the, the Seahawks defense tends to play off receivers a little bit. I I think there is that potential then for some big time yards after the catch for some of these guys.
1: Yeah, Paris Campbell, especially like if they put him in the slot and he's able to get and get matched up on a linebacker or the bring a safety down, it's going to be really problematic because Paris Campbell does have that speed and he's not small either. He's six foot six one and he's a he was a game breaker out at Ohio State and so he's got, he'll have the opportunity. And if that's the concern for Seattle and their defense, that's, I mean, that's what Paris Campbell brings is he's speed guy. He's guy that Frank Reich talks about how he could take it to the house and explosive plays. And he always seems to mention Paris Campbell in those sentences. So that's what I, I'd expect the Colts to start looking at and especially given last year, they used him a lot really early in the season and I think they're going to do that again this year because they're going to want to get Carson Wentz going. And the easiest way to get a quarterback in the groove and make him feel confident is a lot of short, quick passes to guys that are going to make big plays after the catch.
0: So on the offensive line, you've got all-pro Quentin Nelson. Uh, you're high on Ryan Kelly, the center. How, how
1: do you feel about the rest of the offensive line? The only part of the offensive line that I'm really concerned about is left tackle. Uh, Braden Smith is arguably one of the best young right tackles in the game. He just got a new contract extension and Chris Ballard doesn't give out contract extensions unless you earn it. I think it made him either the second or third highest paid right tackle in the NFL. Um, And Mark Lewinsky is he's a adequate starter uh, above average. Um, He's plays really well in this scheme, which for offensive linemen is, is a huge deal. He's competitive. The Colts also have some decent depth behind him. Chris Reed is a guy that I thought that might supplant uh, Mark Lewinsky. Two years ago, he was not great. Last year, he got a little bit better. This year, I'm hoping that he continues to improve. But the big question is the left tackle position for the Colts because Julian Davenport is a guy that they were high on when they brought him in in free agency, but he's underwhelmed. Will Holden was a guy that they thought would – would take over the starting position, but he played so poorly that he got cut. And then you've got Eric Fisher though, which is a guy that they just uh, activated off the COVID-19, who was an all pro left tackle over there for Kansas city, or at very least a pro bowl left tackle over at Kansas city. And he is activated off COVID. He's coming off the Achilles surgery. He's worked his way up to this point. And they've always said that he's ahead of schedule or he's right on schedule. And based on the new uh, rehabilitation with Achilles injuries, that puts him right about an August comeback date is when they would expect him back. So August, September is when they they kind of expected him back. If he stayed on schedule, he did. So he got activated from COVID. They didn't put him on IR. So they think that he's going to be available within those first three weeks. I doubt he'll play. This week, just because he hasn't gotten any practice with the starters yet, but I think it's going to be Julian Davenport. And so that's going to be the big question mark for the Colts at the offensive line. And then if Quentin Nelson, there's a setback in, in his rehab, that that's another big issue. Uh, if, if that happens, if Quentin Nelson's out, then I don't know what's going to happen in the offensive line to be totally honest with you. It's, it could be just an absolute mess, but at the same time, it, if Quentin Nelson's there, it helps mitigate any issues you have with Julian Davenport because Quentin Nelson just makes those guys around him so much
0: better. Uh, flipping over to the defensive side of the ball, let, let's talk about the the guys who are going to be getting after the Seahawks offensive line. And DeForest Buckner, obviously one of the guys that I, you know, the scary guys on the defensive line that I think of all those years in San Francisco. And uh, here, we, here we see him again now with the Colts. You mentioned Quiddy Pay, the rookie. And uh, maybe he'll be starting this game. And are there any other guys on the defensive line that Seahawks fans should be keyed in on?
1: Yeah, honestly, the the Colts defense, Grover Stewart is the other defensive tackle that nobody mentions. But he is a guy that is a run stuffer. And based on like PFF, they had rated him the highest pass rushing nose tackle in the NFL. So he was really highly rated. Um, in terms of pressure rate from that position. And so he's a guy that really can collapse that pocket and get in there. And so the Colts have some really good defensive line. I would almost argue that the defensive line is one of the deepest positions on the Colts roster. And the other guys that you might want to worry about, um, Kamoko Ture is a speed rusher and is a kind of a perfect complement to Quidipe. He's a guy that two years ago back when the the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, he was just absolutely crushing Kansas City and their, their really top-tier offensive lineman in that game to the point that I think he they hit Patrick Mahomes so many times they got hurt, and the Colts ended up winning that game, but Kamoko Ture broke his ankle. It was a dislocation broken ankle in the last play of the game. It was just a, an absolute fluke injury. It set him back for almost two years to, to get back. And so that was really tough, but it seems like he's back. He's a guy that's a speed rusher that he's really good. And if, if they're not ready for that and for that speed, the, the right tackle, you know, Kamoka could, could be an absolute pain in, in Russell Wilson's side. Uh, now, again, I think that you guys are probably going to run a lot of quick passes just to, to mitigate that really early. Um, you would uh, think that you
0: you would think that, you know, that would be a good (laughs) strategy, but with Russell Wilson, we're never sure, you know, he, he (laughs) loves to go for those deep shots.
1: Yeah. Well, and you got the receiver to do it, DK. And then if you've got the, the, I'll tell you this, the Colt, the, my biggest concern for the Colts in this game is the cornerback position because Xavier Rhodes is great. And Kenny Moore. Yeah. I think that he could, you know, put a solid solid lockdown on Tyler Lockett in the slot. Kenny Moore is, I think I, again, I'm biased. I'm a Colts fan, but I think he's arguably one of the best slot cornerbacks in the NFL and he's, you pay really well for it, but that rock you've seen that, that outside corner that's on the opposite side of Xavier Rhodes. That's the big question mark. Mm. And if I'm Seattle, I'm, I would try to do some play action and put DK over there and just let him go because you're likely to get have you know, pass interference. Like the old Joe Flacco play where he just throws it up and gets pass interference, that flags all over because that's just, he was never that good. It's just, they would always call pass interference on him, but Rak Yassine's a liability. If, if DK gets by him just because he's grabbing.
0: Yeah. And I was thinking it, that Yassine was smaller, a smaller guy too, but he's six foot. So they're, mm-hmm. they're not, not too much. Of a size discrepancy there with DK.
1: Now the the Colts actually have kind of modeled their defense after the cover three that Seattle runs um, or, or has run in the past. It's they they're looking for longer, like rangier cornerbacks. Chris Ballard really looks for guys with long arms, uh, especially at the cornerback position, and so that's what you get with a lot of the the Colts defensive backs is guys that are kind of rangy, kind of lanky, um, that close those windows down. It's one of the reasons why Darius Leonard is such a a great linebacker is because he's just got freakishly long arms that he's able to get his hand in places that most guys just don't. And he's also incredibly athletic. I mean, you guys understand that with with Bobby Wagner out there, just how good he is. Right.
0: Yeah. And when I think of the top linebackers in the game, it's, it's guys like Bobby Wagner, it's Fred Warner down in San Francisco. And I think Darius Leonard has to be a guy in the top five.
1: Yeah, that honestly, those yeah, those three are definitely in my top five for sure.
0: Well, in terms of any other concerns on the defense, I okay, uh, you you've got me scared a little bit with Grover Stewart because the issues with the the Seahawks and the center spot. Hearing from Pete Carroll on Monday this week, it sounded like that's still not solidified as who the starter is going to be. Now I'm sure he's, uh, I'm sure it's a little gamesmanship with pete and and not wanting to name a starter necessarily but ethan posick the starter who started most of the season last year at center was out for the entire preseason he really wanted a competition at that spot and instead we we got a lot of kyle fuller seahawks fans weren't so excited with what we saw in the preseason but pete uh, was high on him whenever you talk about him and uh you know what that means i don't know but based on what you've said about stewart that has me a little bit concerned.
1: Yeah. The, I mean, the Colts defensive tackles, I think they're probably one of the best duos in the NFL, just because they're both really good. It's just DeForest Buckner is so good that he takes all the acclaim, all the credit, but Grover Stewart just got a big contract a couple of years ago too. And like I said before, Chris Ballard doesn't, Chris Ballard's not a guy that just hands out those corn contracts. He lets guys walk all the time or he'll cut guys if they don't earn it. And so I, I I kind of say, once you say that Pete Carroll's like, I just don't understand playing coy at that position. (laughs) Like if it was like a quarterback thing, I'm like, all right, I get it. You're trying to, you're going to, you're not going to game plan for a different center. (laughs) It's it's like a different quarterback. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It doesn't (laughs) matter which mediocre center is going to be playing when you have DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart in the middle.
1: Yeah. And like DeForest Buckner is such a tough matchup because of how long and I mean, shoot, you guys know it, like having to deal with him. So for so many years in San Francisco and and seeing how San Francisco's defense declined once he left and then you saw how much better the Colts defense got when he came. And so DeForest Buckner is such a matchup issue uh, there in the interior that you're going to have to double him. It, like I don't think there's any way that you would, unless you've got a guy like a Zach Martin or a Quentin Nelson, that you feel comfortable going one-on-one with a guy like that. Mm-hmm. You have to double him, which means you're basically one-on-one the rest of the defense. If you don't leave in a back to chip or a tight end and Quiddy pay is uh, his, his three Quiddy pays three cone is faster than Tyree kills. Like that, like Tyree kill the wide receiver for the Kansas city chief. They call the cheetah. Quiddy pays three cone drill was faster. Like, we we that's... don't
0: pay attention to three cones in Seattle after what we oh, saw DK okay. Metcalf <laughs>
1: Um And so like you're you're gonna have to one on one him, and you can't. You're gonna have to also one on one Grover Stewart, and Grover is tough. Like I mentioned, is it, he can he can push that pocket in, he can cause that pressure up in Russell Wilson's face and cause some issues, and he's smart and keeps his head up. So if you're trying to run with Chris Carson in between the tackles it's going to be hard because DeForest Buckner one is super long and lanky. So he can just get an arm out and they usually bring guys down, I think. And then Grover Stewart's the other guy that he's so stout against the run that when those two guys were in, uh, are, are in the game, I believe opposing offenses. It's like their lowest rushing yardage of the season. It is usually against the Colts defense because they put such a focus on stopping the run. Yeah. And so I don't know how much that plays into Seattle's favor or whether it it plays into the fact that they like to pass cuz they've got such elite wide receivers there with Lockett and Metcalf but I feel like the Colts are are well set up to stop Chris Carson if that's going to be Seattle's game plan I just I really feel confident in the Colts' defensive line especially this year with with them finally getting some defensive ends that we feel confident in.
0: It really will tell us a lot when we see how things start off with the Seahawks, because historically, based on how Pete Carroll has liked to run things in the past, I think that they would really try and attack the, that strength of the middle of the defense with the Colts early on. And in the past, we've seen you know a lot of three and outs, a lot of ends in early drives, especially in the first half. For whatever reason, Pete Carroll has seemed okay with that. So I don't know now with the new offensive coordinator if that's going to shift at all. But I think that'll be a telltale sign is if uh, the Seahawks avoid running right at that strength of the Colts defense, then then we may be in for something a little bit different than uh, from the offensive coordinator and and that type of strategy from the
1: offense this season. Yeah, running, up, running down the middle against the Colts is a terrible idea. Like, they're, like they're, yeah. it's literally Buckner, their best player. Darius are,
0: Leonard. Yeah. Just.
1: yeah. Bobby Okariki is another is a right. linebacker that honestly could make the Pro Bowl this year. Like, I, I know I'm throwing out a lot of games that uh, names that you guys probably don't know because they're not like household names. Hey, That's why we do this. Yeah. Like Bobby Okariki, He stepped in for the games that Darius Leonard w- was hurt last year and put up really similar numbers. And now I don't know whether that's necessarily because of the position like in the defense or whether the player, but the fact is you put up similar numbers to what Darius Leonard did. You're pretty darn good, no matter what. And so the Colts strength is up the middle of that defense. And that would be just an absolutely terrible idea for them to attack that early and often. If you're a Seattle fan, it's a great idea as a Colts fan. I think Seattle should do that the whole game. And I am fully promoting Pete Carroll. If you're listening to this podcast, please continue <laughs> to do that. Um, but I, I, it's like the strongest part of the Colts it just, It's a terrible idea.
0: Yeah, well, you mentioned it off the top. And I, I don't know how much we need to get into it, Stephen, but you did bring up COVID. And I am curious just to know how it's going to be an impact this season. We heard Tom Brady talking about how he thinks it's going to be an even bigger impact this season. And I don't know if that's he's thinking that because of all the different rules that are in place, because there's fans back in the stands and there's just that much more opportunity to uh, to maybe pass the the virus along or what is necessarily going to happen. But I know that as Colts fans, you've been watching, you know, you've had several players have to sit out now as Seahawks fans, uh, they they didn't have a single case the entire last season. I know Pete's really strict and trying to push them to, to have that continued mindset going into this year, too. It's unfortunate that I think it will have an impact, I, but I don't know if I'm with Tom Brady in the sense that if, if it could have a bigger impact. I just don't know.
1: I think it's going to have a pretty big impact on the Colts this year, uh, because if you didn't know, the Colts are one of the least vaccinated, if not the least vaccinated team in the NFL right now. And the trouble with the Colts is it's not like fringe roster guys. It's their star star players. Mm. I mean, it's, it's Quentin Nelson. It's Ryan Kelly. It's Carson Wentz. It's Darius Leonard. Those guys, they're all pretty openly, you know, they you can see them in the interviews. They'll say, Oh, it's a personal choice. Um, They're in the masks when they're doing the interviews. They I mean, these guys, some of these guys got, dinged for being close contacts and the only way you can be put on five days out in the nfl right now with their current protocols which you know i'm not sure whether i agree with the fairness of them or not but if you are unvaccinated you're in close contact with somebody that tested positive you are mandatory out for five days no matter if you test negative every single day of those five days versus if you're vaccinated you just have to have two negative tests 24 hours apart. And so the Colts were really they're they're really just playing with fire here. And I think they're gonna get burned at some point in the season, especially given the the number of players that are major components to this this team that they really need to be there and be healthy. And for me, I, I recognize that it's their personal choice and I respect that decision in terms of a personal choice for your family, for everything like that. But you also have to understand that you're taking a risk and you could potentially cost your team a win in this, and that you have one of your jobs in the NFL is to be available and you're risking that availability. I think that's, that's really difficult. Uh, If you get a chance, uh, I recommend listening to Darius Leonard. He did an interview the other day. Um, Just, you can check it out on the Colts official podcast, but it was just a little press conference, but he broke down his reasons why. And I respected him a lot more for that, for really breaking down his reasons why he's not getting vaccinated right mm-hmm. now and being really open and honest about it versus some of the other guys who are saying it's a personal choice. Please stop asking me. And are like, well, we can't. It's relevant. You know, We're journalists. We, it's relevant to what's going on in the season. But the the Colts are probably going to get dinged throughout the year, um, if not once, probably a couple of times. Because of the close contacts issue, unless they're able to mitigate it through because everybody in the facilities and this NFL wide, every player in the facilities have to be you wear those tracking devices. And that's how they objectively find out if you're within close contact, because they can track how long you are near this person that tested positive. And so it just kind of algorithmic, like you are, boom, you're done, you're suspended, you're within five feet of this person based on the tracking for more than 10 minutes. Yeah, you're out. And they can test negative the entire time, which again, I don't think is necessarily fair, but I understand it from the NFL's perspective because of unvaccinated. It's like seven times more likely to, to catch it. And so it's, it's really difficult as a Colts fan, because for us, we look at it and say, okay, you're taking to us, you're taking an unnecessary unnecessary risk. While we understand and respect your decision, it is putting the team in a situation, honestly, if there's a couple of big name guys that missed games in their the middle part of the season and they ended up losing those games because of it, I have a serious question on whether that's going to fracture the locker room.
0: Well, I think you know it, it puts us in as fans, it puts us in different situations in so many ways because I think we're all I want my team to be awesome. We're like we're on that part mm-hmm. of the team. Yeah. So for sure. so whatever if if that means uh, guys taking pay cuts so they can sign other better guys on the team like we want that to happen even though we may want it, you know the best for the players and, and for them to make the most money in their careers personally but uh, yeah it always it always puts us in weird positions when it comes to things like this and I think people listening to the show are going to find it fascinating because the amount of depth that you just went into with regard to COVID and the the tracking and that sort of thing I have to admit it it just hasn't been on my radar because on Monday, Pete Carroll said there's two guys on the entire team. I don't even know who they are. And uh, I I know that it must not be one of the stars because at one point I think they had everybody except for one. So that means that it's based on some of these additions uh, between that point and now it's and so it's just hasn't been on my radar. It sounds like it as it has to have been
1: for you and other Colts fans. Oh, you're so lucky. So, so lucky that you haven't had to talk about this because it's it's frustrating because it is such a divisive topic and it it comes to some nuance. Like for me, like personally, whatever, like it's your choice, like as long as you're safe and you do all this. And the thing with the the players that are unvaccinated for the Colts, I firmly believe that they're going to take every single step possible to make sure that they stay safe.
0: But you never but with a, a virus that's so contagious, you never know what's going to happen the days exactly. before it, the game. And you could have a plan that everybody's going to be fine and healthy for Sunday and then boom mm-hmm. on on Friday or Saturday or whenever it is that they get the results in. If they have to test every day, maybe, you know, it's right before the game. Yeah. Then it it could throw it all out the window.
1: The, and that's that's the the most frustrating thing is. Like I said, these guys can do everything right and test negative every single day leading up to the day of the game. But if they were around somebody else that tests positive for certain amount of time, they're gone too. within a certain amount of feet. Yeah, you're out five days. So
0: like with the Broncos last year with the entire quarterback room,
1: the quarterback room. Yeah, they had to play right. And there is no
0: way, Stephen, there is no way that they are canceling NFL games this year. So with last year, with no fans in the stands that could do the stuff where they moved a game a couple days with fans set to be there with their hotel rooms, with their tickets, they aren't they aren't moving a game from Sunday. Like, they're going to have to play with with whoever. And man, uh, at quarterback, it's interesting. But what if it's the offensive line
1: that honestly, honestly, Brandon, that's my biggest concern is because there are at least I, I. there are two major guys that aren't. There's arguably a couple others that it hasn't been reported necessarily or confirmed that they aren't there that are or are not vaccinated. But if, say, you've got four guys in an offensive line or say you've got an offensive line room 10 guys, seven of them are unvaccinated. One of those guys test positive. They're all out. Yeah. Like, you just lost it, the whole thing. So you have to put them all on the COVID list bring in an entire new offensive line behind and have them block for our quarterback. That is already a little gun shy based on being sacked like 50 times in Philadelphia in 12 games last year. He's not going to be super comfortable. You're going to have to change your entire offensive philosophy and you're going to get crushed because of that. And so it's just, it just is so hard if, if when you're looking at it from objective. Like I imagine Chris Ballard is absolutely livid with this situation because these guys, like I said, they can do everything right. And if somebody else does something wrong, they're out for five games, no matter what. So the the no- normal NFL week, I'm sure a lot of your listeners know, like the game prep for the next game starts on Wednesday, Tuesday, you're off usually as a player. Monday, you're coming in for rehab, doing a little film study. But Wednesday is when you start the install for your next next opponent. If anybody is in a close contact on Wednesday, Thursday or Friday, those guys are out for the next game. Yeah, like it. it their entire work week. You've got to have nobody test positive, and and hope that it works out. That's to me, and I imagine to Chris Ballard and in the Colts organization. Frank Frank Reich, Jim Say, the whole organization in terms of the front office is probably very frustrated with what's going on, even though they're going to say publicly. You know we're gonna you know not push these guys we're gonna let them make their own choices at the same time they've got to be kind of fuming because these guys again are putting their availability at risk and they're taking on that risk of potentially losing a game check and having to miss out on on a game just because somebody else tests positive to me that just I I, pros and cons wise, I just don't understand it from that team's perspective.
0: Yeah, well, it it does take me back to Bobby Wagner when they were asking him about it in the preseason and getting the point across that really he didn't feel like he had any choice when it came to the decision. I, I can see why that is now.
1: Again, these guys, these unvaccinated players can do everything right and still get screwed, which then ends up totally messing with your team, which is really, again, it's a frustrating situation for us fans to be in because we want our teams to be whole. We want them to be healthy. We want the other, the other team to be healthy too, because we want good games. And I just feel like this is taken away from the it's frustrating because it's taken away from the football field. And and there's a lot of really compelling topics to talk about for the Colts. And unfortunately every single time, like we we have to do a podcast, there's something new that came up. And so I, I just don't have a lot of faith that throughout their entire regular season, the Colts are going to come away unscathed. It, it just doesn't seem like that's going to happen.
0: Well, we do want good games. We want an outstanding game coming up this weekend between these two teams. Steven, I, I think at the when the schedule came out, I I felt like I was just getting the sense from Colts fans that they thought that uh, Seahawks week one, since it was in their own building, it, it seemed like a, I, I, I saw a lot of people chalking that up just as a win off the top. Uh, I'm kind of curious of where you're at, maybe where you were at then, where you're at now, and how you feel about this game coming up on Sunday.
1: As a Colts fan, I feel confident. Again, COVID, the possible, the IR it's situations aside. Yeah. Um, as a, if everybody's healthy, Carson Wentz comes back, I think this is a completely different team. Uh, I think the Colts have a great opportunity to win. Now, the Colts haven't won a home opener or haven't won an opening game to a season in seven years. So they they really have struggled to start the season. Um, But I feel like the defense would carry them in this situation. And specifically, the strength of the defense there at the defensive line, the defensive tackle position is really what I think is probably going to make or break the Colts in this game. And then whether Jonathan Taylor can get going or not, because it's going to make Carson Wentz's life a lot easier because I know that if they can get that play action game going, get the quarterback out, the Colts are going to have a a great opportunity. And especially like you had mentioned, Pete Pete Carroll decides to run up the middle uh, when, when the Seahawks are on offense, that the Colts are going to have an opportunity to put up some points early. If they can get a couple of three and outs there to start the game. The big difference I think is that, Lucas oil stadium is a difficult stadium to play in. they get really loud. It's not like 12th man loud, up, like out up there in Seattle. It's, it's very different. And I think that the well, Seattle for players defense,
0: who, I mean, after going through in the entire last season, I feel like almost any stadium is going to feel loud to everybody this year.
1: <laughs> that's that's fair. There's going to be some second year guys that are like, <laughs> wow, this is what it's really like. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, but I know like you, the Seattle defense, uh, you guys feed off of the 12th man in, in, up there in Seattle. And so I feel like the defense typically when they're on the road is not quite as not quite as sharp. And that might just be my own ignorance to the the defense. But I just feel like they play better in Seattle than what they do on the road. But I I feel like the Colts are going to have a great opportunity to win when the season started, when the first schedule first came out. I thought that this was going to be a win for the Colts, Um, even though you've lost
0: seven straight. Okay, got
1: it. Yeah, well, I and Carson yeah, Wentz has and,
0: lost four straight against the Seahawks. Yep. OK.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All of those things considered. <laughs> pay, pay attention, um, <laughs> gambling degenerates. To be fair, I did not know Carson Wentz has lost four straight to the Seahawks <laughs> the, until this podcast quite literally. There you go. So, all right. <laughs> uh, we, we're all learning something, right? So, yeah, I, I still think the Colts have got a uh, got a pretty good shot in this game just because the defense is so strong. And because that that's going to be, what's probably going to carry them is defense and running. And that seems to line up with kind of the, the Seahawks weaknesses there at the, the middle of the defense and then the, the middle of the offensive line. And so I feel like the Colts are going to have at least a puncher's chance. I would probably, I would pick them to win. If it were just to pick them, I feel like the Colts have got a pretty good shot to win this game. Even after all things considered. If Carson Wentz plays, if Carson Wentz is out or if, Quentin Nelson is out, I think Seattle will probably take the game.
0: Yeah, I want to say when I first looked at the line, maybe when the schedule was released, I think the Colts were favored by at least three. But I think mm-hmm. it may have shifted to the Seahawks being a favorite by two and a half. That's,
1: that's just going off the top of my
0: right.
1: head. I mean, honestly, that's probably about right with with all the the concerns and issues with the Colts, and especially once Quentin Nelson and Carson Wentz went down with those foot injuries. Now, Carson Wentz, quite honestly, could surprise some people. He could honestly be in situation to be for comeback player of the year um, because with how well he can play in Frank Reich's offense, and if they don't ask him to do too much, he's going to be pretty efficient. So if Carson Wentz, ultimately it's going to come down to what it comes down to every single game uh, for probably Seattle and for the Colts, is turnovers. If the Colts can get a couple turnovers and not – Caught and not give up too many, and they can win that turnover over margin. I think the Colts probably have a pretty good shot to win the game.
0: He's Stephen Reed of Stampede Blue. You can follow him on Twitter at Nice Reed Steve. Steve, if they want to follow along, if they want to maybe hear what Colts fans are saying in this week leading up to the game, where do they go to check out your show and any of the other shows at Stampede Blue?
1: Yeah, you can uh, check us out uh, wherever you get your podcast. You can type in Stampede Blue. And you'll get a listing of different podcasts that you can listen to. You've got Colts Radio. You've got my podcast, a very stable podcast. Uh, You can also go to stampedeblue.com and check out some of the written work. We've got a lot of great writers over there.
0: Definitely check it out. Steven, a big thanks for coming on. And, man, I'm fired up now for Sunday.
1: I know. I'm excited, too. It was great talking with you, Brandon.
0: There it is, the first Seahawks game preview in the books ahead of Sunday's game. Can't wait! We're looking forward to it. Going to have an extra special episode of Three In, Three Out this week, so watch for that in your podcast feed. Also, be sure you're watching up at FieldGoals.com. We have all the latest news and signings. The Seahawks added a linebacker, Tanner Muse, from the Las Vegas Raiders. So if you want to check him out, John Pete Gilbert has the article up there on the website. Some other roster moves as well from Mookie Alexander. It's all up there. Fieldgoals.com. Stay tuned. More to come this week. And until next time, go Hawks.